0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture.
2: Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. New American Cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit TabardInn.com.
1: Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. Each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Julie Gallagher, content director at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Alexandra Grosinger, president of Grosinger Provisions Incorporated, the owner and USDA facility which produces Alexian Pate products, which include pates, terrines, and mousses. Alexandra, I understand that you're half of a mother-daughter duo that runs this company. What's that like?
3: I sure am half of a mother-daughter duo. Uh, my mom and I are really at the helm of Grozinger We're you know, making all the pâtés for the last 40 years, really. Um, It has been an interesting trip for us. Um, At first, it was a little difficult to put the mother-daughter relationship aside and do business. But part of the relationship actually really worked in business. So we we really tried to figure out how, how to best mix all of that together. And we figured out that we both have very different styles, but we always end up in the same ending. So that's what's important. And we really complement each other, which is a really nice thing considering some family businesses have a lot of trouble operating amongst each other.
1: And so you're the president of mm-hmm. the company. And what role does your mother play? So just recently about 6 months ago I
3: took over the presidency. Um Lori is now our president emeritus we call her. She kept trying to say to me, just call me your consultant, call me your consultant. I said I can't call you a consultant. You've run this business for 40 years. So we really um we really so we ended up calling her the president emeritus because we do use her sort of as a consultant but we you know, she also helps me run large projects um, and helps me strategize um, moving forward. So she's more or less in semi-retirement. I'm really running the day-to-day, but but she's certainly still involved.
1: Do you call her Lori or do you call her mom? I call her mom at home, (laughs)
3: but I call her Lori in a professional setting. Somebody gave me that advice once and I thought it was I thought it was yeah, good, so I went with it.
1: That's a good idea. <laughs> so you haven't been with the company obviously for 40 years. Can you back up and tell me how it all got started? Sure.
3: So my parents started the business in 1982. My dad It was my dad's brainchild, really. He came over from Germany when he was young. Um, We come from a long line of sausage and charcuterie masters. Um, So he came over from Germany, and he did recipe development here in the States. He ran a few meat plants and then met my mom, and they decided to start the business together. Um, Unfortunately, about 12 years after they started the business, he passed away suddenly. Um, He had a Huge cancer diagnosis that nobody realized was happening, mm-hmm. and then three weeks later, unfortunately, he passed.
1: Oh my gosh!
3: So my amazing mother had to jump uh, pretty quickly to, you know, help the business survive, keep the house, you know, manage two young children. I was seven when my father passed away. Oh my gosh! Um, so my mom has been running the business and has really made it what it is today, and it's just such an amazing thing. Um, we always thought that I'd come into the business. I seemed to be the only family member that wanted to be involved and wanted to take this whole thing on. Um, and I definitely don't regret it. I love it. Um, but when I graduated college, I really wanted to go out on my own first and see what was out there, you know. learn from other food manufacturers, and then be able to bring something back to the family business. So I worked for a large cheese manufacturer for six or so years after college, um, and then I came into the family business, and I've been there ever since.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. A lot of people that are involved in family businesses tend to do that, go mm-hmm. out and explore a little, and then they come back around and join the business. Yeah. So that's great. So can you tell me a little bit about your products? Sure.
3: So um, we actually have two brands. We have Alexian Pate, and we also have our Groetzinger brand, Eastern European style meats. They're two totally different animals, no pun intended. The Alexian <laughs> Pates are um, an all natural pate line. So um, I think actually to this day, we are still the only pate manufacturer in the country that makes all natural products. So no preservatives, no artificial ingredients, um, no colors, no additives, um, completely all natural. Everything you'd see on the ingredients label. Is something that you can pull out of your pantry. So we've been doing that since way before it was trendy and we certainly continue to do so. Um, we have about 20 different pates right now, um, more hopefully in the process. Um, and our, uh, meats are all free from, uh, added hormones and antibiotics, which is also something we've been doing for a long time. Um, the other brand that we have is the Groetzinger brand, European-style meats, which I mentioned. Um, those are um, essentially a line of Eastern European-style meats, mostly kielbases, black forest ham, black forest turkey, eye rounds. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're
1: pushed out nationwide, both of them. Wow. And so what sort of um, distribution – how do you distribute your products? Is it in food service, retail? Mostly retail.
3: So we really distribute to large um, specialty food distributors here at the show. You see many of them and then they push out to retail for us. So you'll find us in higher end grocery stores, wine and cheese shops, um, little mom and pop specialty shops across the country. We don't do too much food service, um, but you will find it sometimes in restaurants.
1: Okay. Tell me a little bit about the pandemic and what sort of sales trends you saw at that time. The pandemic. The pandemic
3: is something I didn't think that I'd ever experience in my lifetime. And I certainly didn't anticipate experiencing that while running a business. And (laughs) I'll say that if I had to show my chops, the pandemic really helped me do that. Um, It was really a struggle for everybody. Uh, It came on fast. We didn't know how to handle it. Our USDA inspector didn't know how to handle it either. But we felt really comfortable knowing that our food, uh, food safety and sanitation programs are really, really strong. Um, we always score high on audits. Um, and we knew that those programs are designed to kill things just like COVID, you know, viruses mm-hmm. and bacteria just like that. So we just kept doing what we were doing and then implemented, you know, all the things the CDC said, mask wearing, social distancing, um, you know, all of those things. And that actually ended up benefiting us very well. We've had to this day, very few employees out with COVID. Um, luckily, we have a really diligent team who was really dedicated to making sure we had a safe workplace and so we could have business continuity. Mm-hmm. Now, sales, on the other hand, was incredible. I mean, we, our busy time of the year is quarter four, Christmas, Thanksgiving. And when the pandemic hit, the demand for comfort food went through the roof and we felt that. And it was, we joke and we say, it's like, it was like Christmas on steroids. We, we almost couldn't fulfill all of our orders. Um, but we are so, so grateful to have been considered essential. And, um, you know, that, that kept our doors open the entire time. So we've been open the whole time. We haven't had to close with any sickness or anything. So we are certainly proud to say that we've run a really tight ship during COVID and, um, we're, we're all really dedicated to making sure we all stay health, healthy and safe.
1: When demand was so strong at that time, did you have to sort of reel in your marketing so as not to, you know, have too many orders coming in (laughs) that you couldn't fulfill? Uh, Truthfully, I don't think we had enough
3: time to actually strategize and execute that type of plan. I mean, the pandemic just hit out of nowhere, and and there was no real time to strategize for anything. We just had to fly by the seat of our pants and hope for the best, so...
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In a category like this, is Mm -hmm. there education that goes on or is there a certain segment of consumers that are not familiar with pâtés and you have to let them know about them, how they're made, and how you can use them?
3: 100% there is education that's needed around this particular product category. Pâté is not really something that people are always familiar with. It has gotten better. However, the younger generations are more curious now that charcuterie has taken off and has exploded. Um, there, there are a lot more people that are educated now. But what we find is typically in our category, the buyers at the distributors are cheese buyers. And a lot of times they aren't so well-versed in pates. Um, also at the retail counter, some of those staff aren't really well-versed in pates either. Okay. So what we do try to do from a, a trade level is we do offer trainings where our, we'll send our sales team out. And we'll educate at the distributor level or the retail level and do a full tasting and walk people through the flavors and, you know, how we make things and what a pate really is. Um, And then from the consumer level, we really do that through social media. And we try to do, you know, serving suggestions that, you know, there's so many more ways to eat pate than on a cracker or a piece of bread. So we really try to promote that way um, as far as an education perspective.
1: Is there in-store sampling that takes place, and did that have to go away for a little while?
3: Yeah, there. We do certainly promote um, in-store sampling. However, with COVID, that's really taken a backseat. Most of the delis and cheese departments aren't aren't sampling anymore over the counter. So we're hoping that comes back, but we'll see.
1: Okay, great. And then talk to me a little bit. I know that you you're obviously a women woman owned business, um, run business. You're certified. Tell, mm-hmm. tell me about that certification.
3: We are. We are WeBank certified. We've been certified for quite a while now. Um, it requires a, a quite a lengthy application process each year, and somebody comes and visits our plant and makes sure that we are truly women-owned. Um, it has provided us lots of opportunities, including allowing us to use the women-owned logo that they own. Um, we have put that on our package, and I can't believe the the response that we've gotten from the trade and from the consumer, you know, all of the consumers, we were getting calls all over the place, emails. We had no idea you were women owned. Now we're going to buy your product only. We're just so thrilled that, you know, you're a women owned business. Um, Being women owned also allows us to participate in some of the diversity programs that the distributors and larger retailers offer. Um, It never promises you a position or a meeting or anything like that, but it certainly allows you Perhaps an extra foot in the door.
1: Right. I feel like you should get a special mother daughter <laughs> certification. I think family
3: business should get special
1: awards, yeah, honestly. Definitely. <laughs> Um so let's see. Can you talk a little bit about where you're you source your ingredients from um and any supply chain hurdles that you're having to scale at this
3: time? Sure. So we source all of our ingredients or most of them anyway domestically. We try not to do any importing. We like to support the country that we're in now. Um and that's important to us also to try to stay as local as we can. Um, local, meaning, you know, within state or regionally at least, but for sure within the borders of our own country. Um, We haven't had large supply chain hurdles up until recently. We've done a really good job of planning for shortages, but now the supply chain is under so much pressure. We're experiencing insane cost increases. Um, We're experiencing crazy lead times to get things. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's been, I think, a little bit more challenging now than in the beginning of COVID. Uh, COVID seems to be the gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I, I just don't really know what's next. But all we can do is just try to plan as much as we can, and so far, so good. We, we have a, a good team behind us um, that's able to do that.
1: And how about ingredient costs? Are they rising? Big time, big time. Um,
3: we are, I mean, daily getting letters from our vendors saying, we're really sorry, but we have to increase costs. I'm like, again? You know, and it's, but it's just the way that things are happening. But the costs that we're seeing are, you know, in the double digits. Normally it's, you know, 3%, 5 7%. Now we're seeing 12%, 15% increases. And sometimes it's more than one within the same quarter from the same vendor, so it's it's a little bit unprecedented especially for me. Lori, my mom has experienced some of this, you know, within um, you know, different waves of our economy over the years, but this is certainly my first large cost challenge. Um so we're we're, we're hoping it goes away soon.
1: And then do you have to pass increases on to the customer? At times, yes. Um
3: we have tried to absorb as much as we can and we continue to do so. Um, but there comes a point where you have to take care of your own business and your own people too. We have, you know, 30 different employees and those families that we support. So we have to make sure we can pay them too. Um, so we try not to push on too much of the increase, but, um, unfortunately I think everybody's in the same boat and we have to push them through at times.
1: And then do you shift your marketing strategy? So maybe there are certain products that are a little more insulated from those increases, so maybe you might promote those to customers?
3: We don't strategize so much in that way. Um, it's really I, – I mean, I wish that I could say certain products were not as affected as others, <laughs> but mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's just all the way across the board.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you have vegan and vegetarian pates. How did those come to be? We just saw a need in the market for something lighter,
3: for something that was more, I guess, sort of health conscious, dare I say. Um, Our vegetable-based and vegan pâtés are certainly much lower in calories and fat than their counterparts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, a little bit less indulgent, but they're really nice and fresh and great for, for warmer months. And they cater to a little bit of a different audience. Um, they also are attractive to stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts who attract more of that audience as well. So, um, I'll credit that to my mom. She created, uh, and came up with that, those two lines. So we continue to push them out and they continue to be successful. And they're really pretty on the shelf.
1: <laughs> I was <laughs> really looking pretty. at your website. They're beautiful. Yeah. So colorful. Yeah, they're great,
3: great um, uh, consumer attractors on the shelf. They look really nice on the shelf and pull people right in. And then they start looking at our whole product line that's on the shelf. So it's it's sort of an automatic shelf talker, if you will.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how the vegetarian patties
3: are created? Sure. Um, so they're not actually truly vegetarian. They do contain a pork gelatin, which... Keeps them together. We've tried other mm. things, but unfortunately, we haven't had success as far as the R and D goes. Um, we've, but the the three vegetable based pates are um, essentially a couple of different kinds of mousses that we make, and then we we kind of blend them together to make the final product. So the top-selling vegetable pâté we have is our mixed vegetables, three different colors. It's the orange, white, and green, and that will be the broccoli, spinach, carrot, and cauliflower. Um, So those are three different mousses we make, and then we layer them, and then they're baked, and it makes this beautiful,
1: (laughs) colorful product on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And how do you come up with new product ideas? we have
3: actually a little black book that my dad left behind um that has oh. lots of lots of family recipes and recipes that he created himself so Typically, the products that we put out are either those recipes or variations of them. Um, we also have a staff that's been with us for 20 and 30 years who all sort of combines forces with our executive team um, and perhaps some outside sources to help create um, create new products and new product ideas.
1: Okay. And then is there something... Um- is there a lesson or something that you've learned since joining this business that you wish you maybe would have known about way back when? A lesson.
3: There are several. Which one should I pick? Um, I think owning a business, The one of the largest lessons I've learned is get comfortable being uncomfortable. That is a huge one. I had no idea how uncomfortable things can be at times. Um, So that's one lesson. Another one is that not all business is good business. You have to really pick and choose what makes the most sense for your business at the time. Um, So those are sort of two things that that come to mind off the top of my head.
1: Okay, great. So we're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment. It's called Take Five, and we will ask you five questions. But first, let's pause for a
2: break. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com.
1: Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, Take Five. What's your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? truthfully, probably the shows.
3: Um, I grew up around these shows and it's just so exciting to be back and to feel the energy that's in this room. Um, I always say that the food industry is the best one to be in.
1: Great. And what do you like most about being a specialty food association member? Just the resources that you provide.
3: I think there's a lot more than there used to be, which we really appreciate as manufacturers. Um, And just the network that we have. You know, we're sitting here in this glass room looking out over all these booths and it's just, we just love the shows. It just provides such an opportunity to network and to get to know, you know, our peers here.
1: And if you weren't running a business, what would you be doing?
3: I weren't running this business, I'd be running a different one. (laughs) That's not a great answer. But if I could choose to do anything in the world, money, not an object, it would be traveling.
1: Okay. And what's the one piece of advice you'd give a new food business?
3: That not all business is the right business for your business.
1: That's great. And how do you define specialty food? Specialty food to me
3: is food that is really artisanally and handcrafted, um, using the highest quality ingredients and you know interesting flavor profiles. It's not sort of your mainstream brands that are in in some of the middle aisles in the grocery store.
1: Okay. A big thanks to Alexandra Grosinger for joining us today. You can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Alexandra and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast.